0: Hey friends, I am so glad you're here. I'm your host, Erin Cusio, and this is Room for Lovely. Each week, we'll bring you incredible guests with relatable stories and encouraging wisdom who remind us to look for the loveliness in every single day. Because while not all of life is lovely, there is room for loveliness in every single season. Hey, y'all. Today's episode is just a little bit out of the norm, but before we dive in, I want to remind you that we are now just a few weeks away from the official release of my new book, Unraveled, Finding the Lovely When Life Comes Undone. If you haven't already, you can pre-order today by heading over to book.erincusio.com. You'll find all you need there, and when you order, you'll get some exclusive digital content sent straight to your email as a thank you for your support. Getting these words out into the world is probably the most exciting and terrifying thing that I have ever done. But I am so excited to share them with you, and I would be honored if you would grab a copy. Listen, if you have been here a while, it's no secret that I'm a girl who likes a plan but sometimes things just don't go according to plan, especially when it comes to technology. I am always planning and working and adjusting the schedule for the podcast. This week, I had an entirely different episode planned, and at the last minute, a conflict in scheduling changed all of my plans. I had other episodes recorded that I could have slipped into the spot, but there was something else burning on my heart that I really just felt like someone needed to hear. So... I called an audible, see mom, I do know some things about sports, and moved the schedule around and here we are. And if you've been here a while, you also know that I have spent quite a bit of my adult life as a teacher. And I'm coming up on what I'd like to call my third retirement. Retirement number one, babies. Retirement number two, my sweet husband's business. And now retirement number three, me. Anyway, I've got just under eight weeks left in this last stretch in the classroom. I'm teaching seniors this year, and I am doing all that I can to fulfill state objectives while also giving them something life-worthy on their way out. This past week, I taught a poem, and in truth, there was no earth-shattering method to my decision to teach it. It was next in line in the textbook, it satisfied the standards that I needed to cover, it seemed easy enough, and it was a modern poem rather than lots of the other old English, British lit that we've been reading sold. What I didn't maybe expect was the personal passion that I would feel about imparting its message to my students, and the longer I stood in front of the whiteboard, the higher I climbed onto my soapbox. But here's my favorite part. Only teachers might get what I mean by this, but it is a really good feeling to look around the room and see big, bright eyes instead of just tops of heads. What does that mean? Well, It means that students all across the room were paying attention and engaged in the message of the poem. And that tells me that this is a message for me, for you, and for those coming up behind us. It is more important than ever to prepare the next generation for the cultural battles that they'll face. And the topic of today's conversation is what I believe to be one of the greatest ones they'll encounter. I know this because it's one of the greatest ones I encounter. I'll spare you from a full poetry reading here, but there are a few lines that really stuck out to me. This particular author is writing about painting his subjects, and he opens with the line, Perhaps I'm a cruel artist. This is said as a preemptive reflection for the explanation he's about to give. He continues on saying that he paints people lovingly, in great detail, with all of their defects, while paying careful attention to emphasize their imperfections. He's suggesting that maybe he's cruel for adding the detail of the things that might make them uncomfortable, but he doesn't care to paint smooth, poreless skin. Instead, he would rather render the human condition most accurately and movingly. It's this last line that was the clencher for me. When we are most accurately ourselves, that is the most moving for those around us. The problem with this is that we are trained to avoid our imperfections at all costs. We believe we must gloss over them and paint them in the best light. When we are able, we filter those suckers right out so that people don't get to see how we truly are because the loud message of the world is that our true unfiltered selves simply aren't good enough. They demand refining so that we might show the world a more picture-perfect version of ourselves. The last several years have been filled with this message that denounces body shaming and tells us that we're enough and asks us to just be our true selves. But honestly, I think it's all a sham because while influencers are calling for us to be okay with who we really are, they are filtering themselves beyond recognition and providing a lens of altered reality that promotes the idea that who we are actually isn't enough. And I'm not just talking about physical appearances here. If we don't subscribe to the latest fad, the latest messaging, if we don't post in solidarity with the current breaking news, if we align with this political party or that political party, it doesn't really matter how you try to get it right. When you chase the standards of everyone else around you, you're going to get it wrong. It's exhausting. It's only in the last few years that I have learned how to mostly break free from this disastrous hamster wheel. I'm still certainly a work in progress, but more than ever before, I am focused on running my own dang race instead of chasing after the runner next to me. There are two ideas that I want to pose that I gave to my class this week that I think are really important. The first is this I think we've got to gain an understanding of where our insecurities come from. Here's the thing we are all born oblivious to our insecurities. Think back, when you were born, you had no idea what you should be insecure about. These things don't surface until we find ourselves in a situation where our bubble is popped and we realize, oh gosh, maybe I do have something to worry about in that area. I'll give you a super silly example. When I was in fifth grade, my two best friends and I entered a project into the regional social studies fair. During the downtime of the competition, we found ourselves talking to three other boys, hello, fifth grade, who were from another school, another area. They asked where we were going to eat lunch, and we said we'd have to axe our parents. Instantly, they began laughing and making fun, saying, axe? You have to axe your parents? It was the first time in my life that attention was brought to my southern accent or any lack of my articulation, and I was super embarrassed. But I can promise you that from that day forward, I made it a point to emphasize the S and we don't ax anyone, anything in this family. My boys get a quick stern glare if they slip up and say ax, and they are quickly reminded that it is ask. You ask someone something. There are plenty of other situations in my life that I could point to as being the introductory moment of insecurity. And I wonder about you. Was there a moment when someone maybe made fun of your clothes? Did you blissfully embrace some physical feature until someone rudely pointed out its oddity? Maybe it was the first time someone said a cruel word about your intelligence. Or maybe even something worse. But what if we are willing to release ourselves from that narrative? What if we are willing to look at those moments in our lives with a different perspective? Here's another example. We once encountered a situation with one of our kids who were dealing with a bully, someone who was saying things that were simply unkind, pressing the button of a sensitive soul and using their meanness as leverage. But the flip side was this. We knew that that bully was facing an impossibly difficult situation, raised by grandparents, parents who were out of the picture, a life that was less than stable, with untold pain that had already marked his very young life. The hurt wasn't about our kid at all. It was born out of pain and a desire to build themselves up from a place where they were feeling really small. And when you begin to see it from a different angle, then you can shift the way you view the moment, the way you view the hurt, if you're willing. This isn't easy because hurt doesn't just fade. It doesn't just go away. But the sooner we can find the root of the issue, the sooner we can look at it from a different angle and overcome the pain it holds and then get comfortable in our imperfections, that's when we begin to fully embrace who we are and walk forward in confidence. So let's talk about confidence a little bit. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. There's a chapter in my book called Walk In and Act Like You Own the Place. It sounds pretty arrogant to say that, but it's not. It's actually about confidence You see, when we are confident, we are able to say that we are willing and able to be the very best versions of ourselves. When we're arrogant, we are focused and concerned with being better than everyone else around us and making sure they know it too. But I can't say it enough. This is not a competition. This isn't about comparing yourself to those around you. It's about simply being confident in yourself and who you were created to be. And that's the next thing that is important to take hold of. It's not a confidence solely in who I am, because goodness, I could never be enough on my own. It's a confidence in who my God is, what he thinks about me, and what he has called me to do. That's what matters, and that's what I choose to place my focus on. When I am able to do that, I am able to truly change the trajectory of my purpose because I'm not just bogged down with the baggage of other people, what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they're feeling about me. No, I just keep my eyes on Jesus and run my own race. So let me leave you with a couple of things that I think are really important. Number one, know your worth because of who created you. Psalm 139.14 is a scripture that many people quote and know well. And it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But many people stop there. The scripture, though, actually does not. It goes on to say, your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Do you know what the works of the Lord are? You, me, all of us. Some versions say, wonderful is your handiwork. I know this full well. Do you have a solid security and unwavering knowing that who God created you to be is wonderful? That means that you can stand unaffected by what's swirling around you because you know full well, who you are, who created you, and that's something worth standing firm on. Number two, there is no place for shame in our lives. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, We should run with endurance the race that is marked out for us, not anyone else, us. We don't need to change lanes, just run hard in the race that God has designed for us. It goes on to say that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who despised the shame and sits at the right hand of God. Now listen, I'm paraphrasing this just a bit, but here's the deal. When we put our eyes on Jesus, we are able to remain unmoved because he writes the story and he gets it done when we let him. But I also love that it says that Jesus despised the shame. I like to think that that means that he allows no place for it. And frankly, neither should we. Just keep your eyes on him and let him write the story. Friend, I don't know where you are today when you're listening to this, but I want you to know that God sees you. He sees the situations that you faced and the messages you've been fed and the struggles that lie in the quiet of your heart. But can I also tell you that he cares so much about you? He loves you with an everlasting love. He's chasing you with his goodness. And there is no wound or mistake or shame or burden that is too great for him to carry. No mess that he can't make right. This week, I could have gone in any number of directions with this episode. But I couldn't let go of this. I couldn't shake it that someone needed to hear this. And if it's you, if you're listening and feeling a tug in your heart, Just know that God cares enough about you to wreck my plans, move my schedule, and meet you right where you are. So my final question for you is, what have you allowed to interrupt your confidence? And what are you going to do about it? There is something about you that is unique and wonderful, and it was put there for a purpose. And maybe other people have told you that it's not okay, but friend, it could not be more perfectly suited for the task that you have been given. My greatest hope in life is to cling to Jesus and to live abundantly authentic. And I hope that others around me find the freedom. Catch this fire to do the same. I hope today that you find strength to strip away the lies that you have believed about yourself or to flip the narrative of that situation that you can pinpoint that may have crushed your spirit. Stand firm and know full well that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God does not screw things up. Allow him to write your story. Keep your eyes on him. And that will make some room for lovely.